Tonight, as we continue our study of 1 Corinthians 12, and specifically the subject of spiritual gifts, I want to call your attention actually to the last verse of chapter 12, verse 31. This verse really isn't the focus of our study tonight, but the first part of this verse contains a statement by the Apostle Paul that does help us to understand why he was so concerned to educate the Corinthians on spiritual gifts. It's a critically important statement by Paul. And it also helps us to understand why his teaching is so needed today in order to correct errors coming forth from the charismatic movement. Here's what Paul wrote at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 12, verse 31. He said, but earnestly desire the greater gifts. Now, looking at the statement, one might initially be puzzled by what Paul has written, simply because it appears to contradict everything else he writes about or has written about up to this point in chapter 12. You see, as one goes through chapters 12 and then on to 13 and 14, it becomes apparent that the Corinthians as a church had a problem with spiritual gifts. And that problem had to do with the fact that they were desiring what they considered to be the greater gifts. They were coveting the more public, sensational, spectacular, getting attention type of speaking gifts and were minimizing those more private and seemingly humdrum spiritual gifts that hardly ever get noticed. So in light of their desire for these more impressive public speaking gifts, why would Paul tell them to earnestly desire the greater gifts, especially in light of the fact that throughout this chapter, the apostle keeps emphasizing that God has already given to every believer without exception at least one spiritual gift and most likely a combination of gifts. You've already got them. You got them at salvation. So if that's the case, then why would he tell them to seek any gift, let alone an impressive speaking gift? Well, George Gardner, who was for many years a pastor in the charismatic movement, he had those very same nagging questions writing in his remarkable little book. If you can get it, I would highly recommend it. The book is called The Corinthian Catastrophe. You can probably read it in one night. Gardner explains his dilemma over Paul's words and how it was resolved in his mind. This is what George Gardner said in his book, The Corinthian Catastrophe. He wrote, this was the Corinthian problem. They were seeking showy gifts which would bring attention to them and tongues in particular. The writer speaks of this in the last verse of chapter 12, but earnestly desire the greater gifts. For years, he said, this verse was a puzzle to me. Paul had just finished saying God gives the gifts as he wills. Not everyone has the same gift. All the gifts are to be used for the good of the body, not the edification of one member. And now, this verse, as commonly translated, commands the seeking of the best gifts. Well, who wants the least? Everyone wants the gifts that will get attention. One day, he writes, I was reading a work by the German theologian Bittlinger. He suggested that this verse is not a command, but a statement of fact. 
At that moment, I saw for the first time what Paul was saying. You are seeking the attention, getting gifts, but I'm going to show you something better. That's just the full completion of the verse. So what Paul is writing, he goes on to say, is a statement of fact. It's not a command, which pinpoints the problem of the selfish, self-seeking believers at Corinth and many today. So, folks, with this in mind, we're now ready to approach our study tonight of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 11. We won't get through all of it, but it is one unit where we see Paul listing a variety of spiritual gifts, some that the Corinthians desired the most. These were the attention-getting public speaking gifts that the Corinthians so coveted. So let me read to you what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 11. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. And to another, the word of knowledge according to the same spirit. And to another, faith by the same spirit. And to another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. And to another, the effecting of miracles. And to another, prophecy. And to another, the distinguishing of spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. Now, I remind you that the verses leading up to these verses, in those verses the apostle has stressed that spiritual gifts come in a variety of forms, but it's the same Holy Spirit who distributes to all. They come in a variety of forms. There's diversity of gifts, but the same Holy Spirit who gives these gifts to the people of God. And he said that the spiritual gifts not only come in a variety of forms, but they are used to minister in a variety of ways. There's no one method, there's no one way that a gift is used, but they are all used, he said, in the service of the Lord, meaning the service of Jesus. And he also said that they're all empowered by God the Father, all of them. Some being empowered more than others, but all being supernaturally empowered by God. And then Paul closed that passage by stressing that all of these gifts come from the same source, namely the Holy Spirit. And his purpose, the Spirit of God's purpose in giving us these gifts is for the common good of the body of Christ. Not for personal ambition, not for selfish gratification, but for the common good of building up and ministering to the body of Christ. So having stated these truths about the variety, the source, and the purpose of spiritual gifts, Paul now takes the next few verses, the passage I just read to you, focus of our study tonight, verses 8 through 11, to list some, not all, but some of these gifts in order to illustrate how really diverse these gifts are how different they are. So beginning with verse 8, Paul lists nine spiritual gifts for the purpose of demonstrating how much variety there is in these gifts. Now before we look at these nine gifts, we're only going to look at a few of them tonight. As I said, it's going to take more than one Sunday night to deal with this. There are a few thoughts that I want you to keep in mind that'll help, I believe, in your understanding of what the apostle is actually teaching. First of all, in light of the overall teaching of the New Testament, we need to understand that some of these spiritual gifts that Paul mentions in these verses were temporary sign gifts that God gave in the early days of the church in order to authenticate the ministry of the apostles as God's official spokesman, as his official representatives, as his inspired representatives. But once the New Testament was completed, 
And the apostles died out. They just passed from the scene, John being the last apostle. There's really no need for a sign gift. There's no sign to point to. It's done. Some of these temporary gifts are the gifts of doing miracles and healings, tongues and interpretation of tongues. But there's no sign needed anymore. Another thing to keep in mind is that Paul isn't giving us in these verses an exhaustive list of spiritual gifts. He gives just a sampling of them, nine to be exact. There are a number of other spiritual gifts that the apostle mentions in verse 28, for example, of this very same chapter, as well as in Romans chapter 12. He mentions even more. And in addition, the apostle Peter in the fourth chapter of his first letter, he mentions still another list of spiritual gifts. Some of them overlap, but some of them are unique. You see, Paul's purpose in listing these nine spiritual gifts here is simply to emphasize the great variety, the great diversity of spiritual gifts, and that they all, though very different from each other, they have the same source. They all come from the Holy Spirit as he uses them to manifest himself as he works through gifted believers. Third thing to keep in mind is that Paul doesn't explain, he doesn't explain how these gifts work. He doesn't explain how they function. He simply lists them. Therefore, as one Bible teacher put it, he said we can define them only generally by the terms used in Scripture. In other words, what he's saying is the only way we can understand how these gifts functioned is by defining the words that the Apostle Paul uses in describing each of these gifts. So Paul doesn't tell us more than just the name of the gift. And we have to put it together, what it meant based on what the the words meant that he used. And so with these things in mind, let's begin to look at these gifts in order not only to understand them, but also to determine if you have one of these gifts and how best to use it. And if somebody else has a gift, how best to be ministered by them as they use their gift to serve you. So as I said, it's going to take us more than tonight to get through this list, but we start tonight with the first spiritual gift that Paul mentions, which is the word of wisdom. The beginning of verse 8 says, for to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. Now obviously the two key words that help us to understand what this spiritual gift is are the words word and the word wisdom. Now the fact that Paul uses the word word, which is the Greek word lagos, and can be translated as message, can be translated as utterance, tells us that this spiritual gift involves speaking. It was a gift of speech. And because it is a spiritual gift, then it means that those who have this gift have been given by the Holy Spirit a supernatural ability to speak, to communicate, to verbally say things. And what they say, what they speak, then, is the second word that Paul mentions, the word wisdom. They speak, those who have this gift, speak God's wisdom as opposed to man's wisdom. As you'll recall, the Corinthians were so enamored with man's wisdom, they were enthralled with that form of Greek philosophy that's man's wisdom, and Paul declared it in the earlier chapters as foolishness before God. The wisdom of this world, he said, is foolishness with God. However, God's wisdom, which is revealed in his word, especially the message of the gospel, Paul wrote this about that. 
1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. Yet we do speak wisdom amongst those who are mature. Having, let me just back up and say that the reason Paul is stressing this is because he is so downplayed, he has so criticized man's wisdom, he doesn't want the Corinthians to think that he's not interested at all in wisdom. So he goes back and he says, but we do speak wisdom. We're not against wisdom. We speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however... Not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age. In other words, we don't, we don't speak Greek philosophy. We don't speak man's wisdom who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age had understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. In other words, the gospel is the wisdom of God. So the spiritual gift of the word of wisdom is a speaking gift that communicates God's wisdom to other believers. In simple language, this means that those who have been given this gift are able to impart God's wisdom, note this, by applying biblical truths to various situations of life. Here's the way Bible teacher Ray Steadman explained the word of wisdom. He said, it's very simple. He said, it's the ability to take God's word and apply it to real life situations. Wherever problems arise that can be solved by scriptural principles. That's exactly what it is. So, where might this gift be found amongst Christians? Well, those who teach and preach God's word certainly need this gift as they have to apply God's truth to the various issues of of life. Also, biblical counselors, they definitely need this gift to apply God's solutions to those who come to them with their problems. Recently, I read about a man who heads up a ministry to government officials and leaders. Here's what a member of Congress, a sitting member of Congress, I won't mention his, his name, but here's what he had to say about this man, who I won't mention this man's name either. But this congressman said, I've sat under this man's spiritual mentorship during my time in office and his unique ability to show how God's word speaks to the many intricate policy issues facing America today and has served to inform my work as a member of Congress. From what the Bible says about basic human rights to the characteristics of true leaders to national security to mundane policy issues like budgets, taxes, and formulating laws, his insights remind me that faith and freedom do indeed go hand in hand. That's said by a U.S. representative. Now, it seems rather clear that this man he's talking about, he's writing about, who heads up this ministry, that this man has the gift of wisdom because he's able to see how biblical principles apply to so many government-type issues. And that's exactly what the gift of of wisdom does. It applies God's wisdom to the various issues of life. So, if you meet a Christian who seems to have just great insight, insight into the Word of God so that they're able to pull out biblical principles to apply them to to your problems, to other situations, then it, it would seem that that person has the gift of wisdom, the gift of the Word of wisdom. Paul moves on and he gives a second spiritual gift, the word of knowledge. Verse 8 continues, and to another, the word of knowledge according to the same spirit. As Paul moves on now, he mentions this second spiritual gift 
And he states specifically into another, meaning that while the Holy Spirit has given some Christians the gift of wisdom, the word of wisdom, he has also given other Christians the gift of the word of knowledge. Now, the fact that Paul again uses the word word, lagos, tells us that like the word of wisdom, this gift, the word of knowledge, is also a speaking gift. And while this gift certainly would involve wisdom, because there has to be some overlap, the emphasis of this gift is the ability that God gives certain believers to understand and to grasp biblical truth. Now, certainly all Christians should read and study their Bibles. The Holy Spirit does give certain Christians a supernatural ability to know and to comprehend biblical truth and then clearly communicate those truths to others. You see, those with this gift of knowledge have a God-given ability to study and to understand the Bible. They're able to think through knotty theological issues. They pay careful attention to such things as context and word studies and other correlating biblical truths in order to arrive at an accurate interpretation of a passage of Scripture. So, who has this gift? Well, certainly pastors need this this gift. They need the ability to study and understand the Bible and then to speak it to their congregations. But also anyone in the church who has any kind of a teaching role needs this gift. Now, having said that, it doesn't mean that those who have this gift have to have formal Bible school or seminary type of education to use this gift. Not at all. Some individuals just are not able to get that kind of training, but they may still have this gift. One Bible teacher I read explained it this way. He said, a Christian with the gift of knowledge may be highly trained in biblical languages, history, archaeology, and theology. God can use that training in the working of his gift. But another person with the same gift may have limited formal education. In either case, the ability to comprehend spiritual truth is God-given. The gifted person is supernaturally enabled not only to discover truths from the facts of Scripture, but to explain and interpret those truths in order to help others understand them. As in all the other gifts, it comes in many forms and degrees. One believer may have great ability in this one area alone, while another may have moderate ability here, mixed with several other spiritual capabilities. I wanted to read that to you because I think that's a good explanation. I think it's a good balance. Lest anyone be discouraged, oh, I can't go to Bible school, I can't go to seminary, I must not have this gift. Not necessarily. Charles Spurgeon never went to a day of Bible school. Martin Lloyd-Jones never went to a day of Bible school, and yet they both certainly have this gift. Third gift that Paul mentions, spiritual gift, is the gift of faith. The beginning of verse 9 says, to another, faith. Now, it may surprise you to learn that faith is a spiritual gift. And the reason it may surprise you is because all Christians, all Christians have been given faith as a gift from God. This is why we believe in Christ. This is why we're Christians, because God has granted us faith to trust Him for our salvation. So all believers have faith, and they've been given faith. However, the spiritual gift of faith that Paul mentions here in 1 Corinthians 12, it goes beyond believing in Christ for salvation. The gift of faith is the supernatural ability given by the Holy Spirit to believe God in the face of all kinds of hurdles and obstacles. 
It's a heightened capacity to trust God for things that others look at and just have a hard time trusting him for. In other words, those who have this gift, they're able to trust God in the face of what appears to be humanly impossible. But not to them. They believe God. It would appear that Jesus was speaking of this kind of faith when he said in Matthew 17, 20, he said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. It would also seem that the apostle Paul had the spiritual gift of faith because of what Paul said a little bit later in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 2. He said this, if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. You see, folks, this is the kind of faith that removes obstacles, the kind of faith that trusts God to do what appears to be, as I said, just impossible. Now, this gift is seen, it's demonstrated in how someone prays. As this person who has the gift prays, he looks to God to do what is beyond normal expectations. Again, it appears that the Apostle Paul did have the gift of faith, and I say that because of how we see him using this in dealing with a very dangerous storm that the ship he was on went through on its way to Rome. Remember, Paul was being sent to Rome as a prisoner of the government, and he was on this ship when it met a terrible, life-threatening storm at sea. So we read about this in Acts chapter 27, verses 21 through 25. Luke says, when they had gone a long time without food, then Paul stood up. Remember, Paul's a prisoner. He's not in charge. He's a prisoner. Paul stood up in their midst and said, men, you ought to have followed my advice and not to sail from Crete and incurred this damage and loss. Yet now I urge you to keep up your courage, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood before me saying, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar and behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe God that it will turn out exactly as I have been told. Having thrown all the cargo overboard and and being violently tossed about by the storm in the Mediterranean Sea. The verse just prior to these verses says this. It says that all hope of being rescued was gradually abandoned. These men just lost all hope, but not the Apostle Paul. Paul stands up in the midst of this horrendous, seemingly hopeless situation. He stands up and he exercises his gift of faith by telling the men, that God has revealed to him that they're all going to make it. And he said, and I believe God. That is the gift of faith in action. And in church history, we read about individuals who definitely demonstrated the gift of faith by trusting God to provide for them when the situation just looked hopeless. Men like George Mueller, who trusted God to provide food for the many orphans he cared for. There are stories of Mueller saying, let's thank the Lord to all the children, let's bow our heads, let's thank the Lord for the food. And someone said, but there is no food here. Oh, but there will be. 
They finish praying and there's a knock on the door and someone has delivered food. There are stories like that. George Mueller had the gift of faith. Men like Robert Chapman, one of the early brethren leaders in England who demonstrated his gift of faith is seen in the following story from a biography written about him. So I'm quoting now. Chapman and his friend William Hake were once visiting in South Devon, that's a region of England, and had just enough money for two railway fares back to Barnstaple, that's a town in England. During their visit, they needed to separate, so Hake gave Chapman money for his return fare. They met later, and Hake, knowing Chapman's habit of giving money away, asked Chapman if he still had his fare. Our father knows all about it, Chapman answered. Suspecting that the money was gone, Hake repeated his question as they approached the railway station. Chapman confessed that he had given the money to an elderly lady who was not feeling well and could use it. Well, what are you going to do now, Hake asked with some agitation. Chapman simply replied, our father knows all about it. As the train pulled up to the platform, a friend ran up, apologized for being late, and gave each of them more than enough money for the fare. Folks, that's the gift of faith in action. The fourth gift that Paul mentions is the gifts of healing. 1 Corinthians 12, 9 continues, and to another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. Now, before we consider what this gift actually is, it's important to notice something, something rather critical, that the word for gift, notice, look at your Bible, it's in the plural. It's in the plural. It says gifts. And what we are not able to see and notice because it hasn't been translated properly is that the Greek word for healings is also in the plural. It should read healings, the gifts of healings. Now the reason the plural of both these words is important is because they tell us that God has given, note this, a variety of gifts for a number of different kinds of healings, of different kinds of illnesses. And so as one reads through, for example, the book of Acts, we see the apostles using this gift to heal people of all kinds of afflictions and diseases. Not just one illness, not just two illnesses, but all different kinds. So for example, Acts 3 tells us how Peter and John exercised this gift to bring healing to a lame man, a man who could not walk. Verses 3 through 8 of Acts 3 say this, when he saw, this is the lame man, When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. And Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. So he's a beggar, he's asking for money. But Peter said, verse 6, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. With a leap, he stood upright and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. So this man was healed instantly as Peter and John exercised their gifts of healing. Someone who was lame. But this gift wasn't only used to heal lame individuals. It was also used to heal individuals who had all kinds of different sicknesses and afflictions. As we read a few chapters later in Acts 5, when Peter again used his gift of healing in a variety of afflictions, verses 14 through 16. And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women 
were constantly added to their number. It means people got saved. To such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and pallets so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any one of them. Also, the people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people, notice this, who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all being healed. So they came with all kinds of illnesses, they came with demonic possessions, and they were all healed. It wasn't just people who couldn't walk. Included in this would have been blind people, would have been people with all kinds of diseases. Again, in the book of Acts, we see another demonstration of the gift of healing when Paul healed a man of fever and dysentery. Dysentery is an infection of the stomach that causes bloody diarrhea and severe abdominal pain. Here's what we read in Acts chapter 28, verse 8. And it happened that the father of Publius was lying in bed afflicted with recurrent fever and dysentery. And Paul went in to see him and after he had prayed, he laid his hands on him and healed him. So here was a man who had this terrible ailment and he was healed. It's just a variety of healings. So all of these different, different healings demonstrate that this spiritual gift It came in a variety of forms for the purpose of healing a variety of illnesses and not one illness. But something very important to recognize about this gift is that as special as it is, this gift was uniquely for the early church and for the apostles because this gift was miraculous in nature. And by its usage, the apostles... And those associated with the apostles were authenticated as true messengers of God. In other words, when an apostle or someone who was close to an apostle used this supernatural ability to heal someone, they were immediately recognized as an authentic representative of Jesus Christ. This is precisely why the apostle wrote these significant words in 2 Corinthians 12.12. He said, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. Only apostles could do these things, otherwise there wouldn't be the sign of an apostle. If every Christian could do them, there wouldn't be special for an apostle to do this. See, the way that someone could identify a true apostle of Christ was by their ability to do some kind of miracle, some of the same miracles that Jesus did, which included healing the sick. But with the passing away of the apostles, there was no longer a need for the gift of healing anymore. If someone wanted to know if these apostles were true messengers of God, all they had to do after they had passed from the scene was refer to their writings in the New Testament because the written word of God is self-authenticating and it needs no sign to authenticate it. So, there is no one today who has been given this spiritual gift to heal anyone since there are no longer any apostles. Therefore, those individuals who claim, and there are many who do, claim to heal people, they're simply fakes. They're liars. They want others to think that they have the ability to heal them. Why? Because they want their money. They exploit them for their money and they want to exalt themselves as looking like they're powerful people under God. However, the fact that God no longer gives a spiritual gift of healing to anyone does not mean that he no longer heals people today. Sometimes people assume that when we teach this, that's just what we mean, well, God doesn't heal anyone. That's not what the Bible says. God does heal people today, often through medicine, 
but also at times by the miraculous. He's not obligated to heal anybody. He hasn't promised that he has to heal everybody, but he does heal at times. About two and a half years ago, Michelle was diagnosed with a problem with her heart, and through medical testing, it was determined that she had a ruptured cord from her mitral valve, which was causing her blood to regurgitate, and it was leaking backwards. The blood was leaking backwards into her body. When she and I saw her cardiologist, he showed us a video of her heart on his tablet, a little little iPad, and he pointed to this ruptured cord, how it was loose, and it was swaying back and forth. And I questioned him about it. I said, explain this to me. What are we seeing here? And he said, you see this? This is her cord going back and forth instead of being attached. So we all saw it. And he very clearly showed us what it is. It had a certain color to it. And it was, it was very clear. Something was flapping around there. He then told us that this condition had to be repaired and the only way to repair this was by either going through her groin or by open heart surgery. But before proceeding any further, he said that they were going to send, do a procedure whereby they sent a camera down her throat to get the very best and closest look of her heart and then he would make the determination as to which way they would go, groin or open heart. So the day came for this procedure with this camera, and soon after the attending doctor, who was a different cardiologist than her original one, but in the same organization, this man then came into the waiting room in order to tell me the results. So we sat down, and the very first thing he said was that her heart looked good. So I said, well, then I assume this means that you'll be going through the groin rather than open heart surgery. To which he said, I don't think you understand what I just said to you. I said that her heart looks good. There's no need for any kind of surgery. Her heart is fine. Now, when we saw Michelle's primary care physician soon after this, she said, and her words, these were her exact words. She wasn't, she's not even a believer. She said, well, this is a miracle. But when we returned to see Michelle's original cardiologist, he would not admit that it was a miracle. He said it was a fluke or words to that effect. But folks, it was a miracle. It was a miracle of healing. We saw with our own eyes, he saw with his own eyes, the unattached cord flapping around in the video. And then it no longer flapped anymore in the next video no longer flat. Why? Because God miraculously healed her. How else would you interpret this? So God does heal today when he sees fit to do this, but he's not, as I said, he's not obligated to do this. He hasn't given us a, a promise that he must heal everyone. I mean, listen, if God healed every, every believer, none of us would ever die. So that's not going to happen. But when he does heal, we know that he does not do it through someone with the gift of healing because that was a temporary sign gift for the age of the apostles. Now, folks, the important truth to take away from our study tonight is that the Holy Spirit manifests himself in the church by the variety of gifts he gives to individual believers. This is the way that God builds up how he edifies his church. He supernaturally enables some believers to communicate God's wisdom to you so that you'll know how to apply biblical truths to your life, to your problems, to the challenging situations you face sometimes every day. So let those with this gift minister to you. Let them counsel you. 
Let them advise you. Let them teach you. Take advantage of the opportunity that you have in this body of believers of Lakeside to help you navigate through the hard times of life. Don't be isolated from others in the church. Be involved so that those with this gift of wisdom can minister to you. That's God's design for his body, for his church. Likewise, let those with the gift of knowledge also help you by imparting to you an understanding of God's word. And that means you have to avail yourself of the opportunities to be taught what's offered in the church. Teaching from the pulpit, teaching from Sunday school classes, home studies, men and women's Bible studies, etc., all kinds of teaching opportunities. God has given certain individuals in this church the gift of knowledge for the purpose of helping you as a congregation to know the Word of God. So let them impart this knowledge to you. And concerning the gift of faith, learn from people who have this gift. There are people in our congregation who have this gift. See there, their childlike trust And ask God to help you to trust Him more. While you may not have the spiritual gift of faith, you certainly have faith, otherwise you wouldn't be a believer. So learn from those who have the spiritual gift. And then give God glory when He answers their prayers, when He answers your prayers. But when you see someone trust God for something that looks so colossal that you think, how could that possibly happen? And then it does happen, then praise God for that. Now, If you've never believed on Christ for salvation, you can tonight. You say, I I don't have any faith. Well, you you can. You, You see, if you see your sinfulness and you're willing to forsake your sin and place your trust in Christ's death on the cross for your eternal salvation, if that's all going on in your mind, then do so. Because this means that God has granted you faith to believe on him for eternal life. So, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, the scripture says, shall be saved. If you've never trusted him, if you've never believed on him, may tonight be the night of your salvation. Let's pray. Father, thank you for allowing us to study this passage. We wish that more were here to hear this, but Lord, we're here and help us to minister to others in our church and to be ministered to by others in the church. You have formed not simply a congregation, but a body of believers who all have been given unique gifts by you to minister to one another. So Lord, help us to be like the early church that did minister these gifts, that did use them, that did let others minister to them. We don't want to be like the the crazy Corinthians, but we do want to have body life. We do want to use our gifts. We do want others to use their gifts to help us to grow in you. So I pray to that end. And I pray, Lord, for those who may never have trusted you, that tonight might be the night that you give them faith and that they believe on Christ for salvation. All of this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.